Welcome to Round Rock Church of Christ. We're glad you're listening. If you're in the Austin area, we'd love to have you join us this Sunday at 8.30 or 10 a.m. Or you can check us out and watch online at roundrockchurch.us. May God bless you as you seek Him, and may He use this message to give you exactly what you need. Good morning. I'll be reading from the New Testament this morning in the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verses 10 through 15. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. This is the word of the Lord, church, for us this morning. Let me pray before we sit down. Uh, So God, as we open your word this morning, can you open our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit? Holy Spirit, can you illuminate every good promise and every good conviction that you have waiting for us today, this day? We pray this in Christ Jesus, our Lord, and everyone said, amen. NFC Church. I, uh, I want to apologize that I, uh, I sound like I belong on a Mucinex commercial uh, this morning. Uh, the scriptures tell us that there are pre- powers and principalities at work in the world, and I come to church today wrestling with one of those powers, cedar, okay? Uh, so you'll have to hang in with, with me on this one. I want to begin with a question for us to consider on the third week of this series in which we are calling Tough Talks. Now, in this question, there is no wrong answer. The only wrong answer is no answer, okay? And the question that I want you to answer is if you could only pick one form of communication to be your only form of communication, which one would you choose? I may have no battery power on this clicker, so you may have to help me today, guys. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, I was not making dramatic effects. Sometimes you will feel that, but that is not that. That is not that. If you can only pick one form of communication as your only form, which one would you choose? Now, I'm going to give you four options, okay? This isn't just a you get to pick any. I'm going to give you four. I'm going to let you sit on it for a second, and then we're going to vote, okay? And when I say we're going to vote, all right, we're going to vote by the raising of hands, which means participation, okay? Participation does not look like this. Okay, that communicates something to me. Participation is like right here. Okay, this is it right here. Some of you are already displaying it to me. All right, so here are your four options. If you can pick one form and only one form, 
Which of these four? Is it texting? Is it talking on the phone? Is it Zooming? Okay, I know some of you still have PTSD from that. And email. Okay, these are your four options. You're thinking. You're thinking. All right, this is, this is everything. Everything. Family members, co-workers, people you want to talk to, people you don't want to talk to. All right, here we go. How many of you are choosing texting as your main form for the rest of your life? Okay, okay, that's a good fourth. That's a good fourth. You should also have your head on a swivel right now, right? You can learn about your friends. How many of you would do phone calls? Phone calls. Absolutely. Whoa, okay, we got some phone calls here. We're going to be just fine. All right, Zooming, FaceTime. Okay, you can't vote twice. I'm seeing some of you vote twice. That's not possible, all right? And then third, or fourth, email. Okay, we, do, okay, we don't have a lot of email. That's good to know, Dan Champion. I'm going to hold on to that, okay? I'm going to share with you the results collectively when sociologists have actually, people who just study social trends, they would say out of these four forms of communication, there is one that is on the increase, and there are two that are staying steady, and then there is one that is decreasing. And let's see where you find yourself. Texting and Zooming are at a steady rate right now. Okay, These are slightly increasing. People like these options. But the dominant preferred form of communication is actually email itself that it is increased. I know someone just mourned. They were like, oh, that's so sad. And the one thing that is in drastic decline, sociologists would say, is actually phone calls. That phone calls, talking to a person is actually becoming like a dinosaur. They are archaic and extinct. And this makes me very sad as someone who loves phone calls and despises texts and emails. Now, what's really interesting is I've actually heard that there is a phenomenon that actually supports this claim. And I don't know if you've actually heard of this before, if you want to put that word up there. This is called voicemail cramming, okay? If you've never heard of this term before, here's what it means. It means you fill up your entire voicemail inbox to where it is full and people not only can't leave you a voicemail, but they're forced to communicate with you in a different way. I shared this with a friend a couple weeks ago, and he literally said, I've never heard of that, and I really wish I would have thought of this. <laughs> There's something risky about having real-time conversations. A couple of years ago, I heard a teacher actually just mourn the death of classroom conversations because in a world where we google everything in a world where all the information is accessible to us it is now socially dangerous to just answer a question off the cuff in front of a room of people sometimes our preferred ways of communication are actually safer ways of communication because when you email when you text when you find yourself reaching for those ways, you can hide your initial reaction. You can edit and re-edit your words before they ever get there. 
And sometimes you can even avoid talking about the very thing that you may actually need to talk about. In 2017, there was this article that was posted by The Atlantic, and it was basically this professor that actually said one of the troubles that we're going to have in future generations is that there are more ways to talk to people than the way of just talking face-to-face -face with people. And as many ways as we've had gifts in these different forms of communications, we also have grievances as well. In this article in 2017, this professor was one of the first people to make a clear, reasonable argument that when we avoid talking face-to-face -face and practicing that, there's a direct correlation with slowly maturing in our lives. That there's a direct correlation between conversing and maturing. And oftentimes, when we decrease the amount of real-time conversations we have in our lives, we also decrease our level of maturity. And this is why we're in the series that we're calling Tough Talks. Because all of us can voicemail cram, right? All of us can put off some real-time conversations that we have in our lives. And it's costing us something. If you're not having tough conversations in your life, you are making a trade. It may make life safer for you. It may insulate your life, but it also comes at a cost of other people's maturity and our own maturity. Not only is this a wrestling for upcoming generations, but this is a challenge for anyone who wants to mature in life with God. Now, the past couple of weeks, we've talked about how following Jesus means that there are going to be hard conversations that happen in our lives. And if we have tough conversations, that doesn't mean we're doing anything wrong. That just means that we're practicing healthy discipleship. And if we looked at a breakdown of the series as we've gone, we talked about why on week number one, and then after week number one, we kind of uh, handed out rubber bands. And if you're catching just on the back end of the series, uh, people in the church are wearing these rubber bands on their wrists to just prayerfully think about the tough conversation that they may have in their lives. Now, last week, I gave three questions uh, for you to consider, are you a person that not only gives tough words, but receives tough words as well. And in this first part of the series, we're talking about tough conversations in regards to either you have done something wrong or someone has done wrong to you. And in the back half of the series, week four, five, and six, we're going to talk about what do you do when it's not necessarily you've done something wrong or someone else has done something wrong, but what if there's just disagreement? that there is differing perspective when going about conversation. That'll be in the weeks to come. But in week three, I want to provide you kind of the same structure I did last week. I want to offer you just three questions for you to evaluate if it is time to have a tough conversation. And maybe the question I want us to ponder answering is the question of when. Many of us know that we have a tough conversation 
that may be along the horizon. But we need discernment of when is it the right time to have a tough talk. Now, I will say this, is that this is very situational, right? So like if we sat down and we each talked about our different conversations that we had in life, all of them would be contextual. So what I'm providing today is just kind of three questions that can help us move towards wisdom. Do not let these be the only questions that have it. Think of it almost as like bumpers in bowling, okay, right? Like when you first bowl, you have this massive heavy bowling ball and you roll it down. And if you don't have bumpers on the side, you can gutter ball it real fast, okay? This sermon, all it's looking to do is make sure you don't gutter ball, okay? We feel good with that? Some of you feel good with that. All right, here we go. All right, three questions to discern. How do I know when it's time to initiate and give tough words? The three questions would be these. Number one, are we with them? Question number two is do we know about them? And three, are we for them? When considering if you're going to have a tough conversation, it would be wise and discerning to have these three questions in the back of our minds. Let me unpack what these three mean. So the first question, are we with them? The place that I'd like to root these questions today is not just, this isn't just therapy. This isn't like just some like talk thought. This is actually rooted in scripture. And I want to talk about one of the scriptures that Christians reach for when talking about tough conversations. Because usually when they reach for it, it tends to be more of a cliche than it is something that's rooted. If you want to turn with me to the passage that Tony read this morning, we're going to be rooting ourselves in Ephesians 4. And we're going to root ourselves in Ephesians 4, starting in verse 10. But the the actual scripture that I want us to have our attention on, you can go back one uh, in the booth, is the phrase, speak the truth in love. You ever heard that before? You ever been in conversation and someone's like, mm, you know what you need to do? You need to speak the truth in love. And when we communicate that as a platitude, here's what we're really kind of saying underneath that. We're saying you're justified to say what you believe is truth as long as you say it lovingly. You're justified to say whatever you feel to be truth as long as you say it lovingly. And when Paul says these words, when he writes these words to the church in Ephesus, he puts a lot more words around it than just someone being like, I just got to speak my truth. I just got to lay it down. I got to say what I need to say. When Paul writes to this group, he is writing to a group of Jesus followers who are looking to mature in their faith. And one of the things Paul wants throughout this whole letter, the whole point in Ephesians, is saying Christ Jesus is bringing all things together. Paul starts the letter and says Jesus is literally bringing God and humanity together and in Christ Jesus, in result of that, God is horizontally bringing all people together as well. And then Paul just gets very practical by the time you get to this chapter. And he says, one of the ways you mature in your identity, in your relationship with Jesus, one of the ways you prepare to meet Jesus 
in the final coming days is you practice giving and receiving truth in love. In other words, when Paul talks about truth, he's not talking about your truth. He's not talking about your perspective. He's not talking about my perspective. He's talking about the truth of Jesus, the one who called himself the truth and the light and the way. In verse 10, Paul literally starts by just anchoring it here. He says, he, Jesus, who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the universe. In essence, what Paul is saying is he's saying that if any tough word is going to be spoken to us, it is because the word of God has come to us in the flesh and he is here with us. The good news of God and Jesus Christ for all of us to receive this morning. This is the reason we're here and we're not out having brunch somewhere right now. Is that Jesus, God, has descended and he has ascended into our lives. The good news is Jesus has descended. What's it mean for Jesus to descend? He has descended from the heavens to be with us. He has descended to be with those who no one else wanted to be with. He has descended and he willingly and unjustifiably went to the cross for us. He descended to the grave where he encountered the enemy of death in which we all face in our lives. And even though now he is not with us, his Holy Spirit has descended on us and empowered us. This is the good news for us this morning, church. Amen? And Jesus has also ascended as well. That he ascended above the sinful and hurtful ways of the world. That he rose above the temptations and the powers of kings and rulers. He ascended by the power of God from the tomb of death where he was laid. And he is ascended at the right hand of God and he's interceding for you right now as we speak. This is the good news of why we gather. Amen, church. And when God speaks to humanity, God comes in person. God didn't send an email. God didn't send a text. When the truth came into the world, truth came to be with us. He came incarnate to show up and speak up in our lives. C.S. Lewis, who was a follower of Jesus, you may know him as the writers of the Chronicles of Narnia. He talks about how in our lives we have little incarnations that he gives us. And what he means by that is when we speak into someone's life, And when we show up in someone's life, we are giving a small part of ourselves. Jesus is God incarnate. Jesus is God showing up for you. Jesus is God speaking up for you. And Jesus is God giving himself. Jesus never gives truth without also offering himself. So the first question we simply just ask ourselves, if there is a tough conversation coming up in my life, we just need to ask, have I given 
myself to this person that I'm about to speak truth to? Have I been with them in high points of their life? And have I been with them in low points of life? Have I given them little incarnations in their lives? Do they have a piece of me? Or are we simply just speaking truth like we are in a peanut gallery in someone's life? It's a very interesting thing about Jesus never ever wrote down all of his words. He didn't spend time doing that. He spent time forming relationships with people that actually carried his truth even beyond his own life. The first question is simply, are you with the person who you want to speak truth to? The second question, do we know about them? In the very next sentence, Paul is going to tell us this. In verse 11, he says, so Christ gave, him, gave us the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Paul tells us in Ephesians 11, he literally, 4.11, he literally says, not only has Jesus given us truth, but Jesus has also given us a plethora of truth tellers. You can track in the early church how all these roles played into people receiving the news of Jesus. You need all of these truth tellers for you to receive the words of Jesus. That we needed apostles, first-hand witnesses. That we needed prophets, people who revealed the current and the future realities of God. We needed those who proclaim the good news of God, evangelists. We need those who guide and watch after the people of God. That would be the shepherds. And we need teachers, people who edify us and teach us in the ways of God. To receive the truth of Jesus is not a one-role job. It's a plethora of roles. And if the dynamic of the church is the same with our relationships in our lives, no one person should bear all the weight of truth-telling. The only person who can do that is Jesus, the one who calls himself truth. The rest of us need a plethora of truth-tellers in our lives. So the second question we ask ourselves is, do we know what role we best play into speaking truth into someone's life? And notice how Paul talks about speaking truth in those roles. Starting in verse 12, he keeps going. All of these people came to equip his people for the works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith. You can keep going. And in knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants that are tossed back and forth by the waves or blown here and there from every wind of teaching and by cunning or craftiness of people and their defeatful, deceitful scheming. Paul says that we are to equip. When Paul talks about motivation of receiving truth, he doesn't talk about it like you're in limbo of God's love. He uses words like ministry and unity and maturity. These are our motivators of receiving truth. 
The way that Paul talks about us growing in life with God is not one where we are in jeopardy with God's love. One of the ways that I've heard this described sometimes from people is it's almost like we're trying to play the game that used to play in elementary school of like, he loves me, he loves me not. Like we, we tend to like really rely on that when it comes to God of like we have moments where we're like, yes, I am in line with God and God loves me. And then the next moment we're not in line with God and we're like, he doesn't love me. I need to get back into his love. Paul doesn't talk about us needing truth because we're falling in and out of God's love. When Paul talks about salvation in God, God's love is already declared through Jesus. Part of living in God's salvation is not just being saved from something, but it's also being saved for something. This is why early Christians like Gregory of Nyssa, he defined sin as just saying, hey, sin is our refusal to keep growing in life with God. Life with God is simply not just conversion and confession. It is also reaching intimacy and fullness with God. That when we tell truth, we're equipping people to be able to know what the ministry Jesus has set before them is in their lives. When we truth tell people, we are telling them truth because we want to help set them in the ways that God desires for them to live their lives. In Ephesians 4.12, when Paul uses that word equip, it's a medical term. It would be used like setting a bone back in place that had been broken. When we speak truth, we speak truth to people to help them function and operate and move back towards maturity with God, which means we've got to know something about what God is doing in the life of the person that we're willing to speak truth to. I think one of the areas where uh, we're just robbed of this is uh, you see this on social media and Facebook all the time is people will say the phrase, I don't know who needs to hear this, but, and then they just, they let it go. They let it fly. That is not discerning who, if you don't know who needs to hear it, it's probably not time yet to say it. And I would actually argue, if you write things like that on social media, usually you are observing something in your real life and you're passive aggressively sharing truth instead of actually having the conversation where it needs to be. It's passive aggressive truth telling. It makes me think of uh, one of the movies that just came out, Glass Onion. There's this quote that people have hung on to with it. Uh, it's uh, this mystery movie, and uh, it's all about Detective Blanc. He's trying to figure out and solve it. And there's this meme, if you want to go ahead and put this up. Uh, one of the uh, suspects, she actually tells the detective, she says, you know, I'm a truth teller. And some people, they just can't handle that. And Detective Blanc says very quickly, he says, it's a dangerous thing to mistake speaking without thought for speaking truth. We speak truth in Jesus Christ to equip people. We don't speak truth to indict people. We don't speak truth to set people straight. We speak truth to set actions back on track with God. We don't speak the truth because we just call things as we see it. We speak truth because we see what God is doing in someone's life. And we want them to know that that's there. 
One of the ways we can easily just do that is when we speak truth, we just use and instead of but. David Ausberger, who is a professional in just pastoral wisdom and counseling, he says, and is the great enter key, and but is the great delete key. Every time we speak truth into someone's life and we use the word but, we immediately erase everything that God may be doing before that in someone's mind. So when we address someone in truth, we say things like, uh, you know, I know you had the best intentions, but. Okay, you just took away everything before that. You're a great friend, but. I know it's been a hard season, but. When we share truth, we need to remind people what God is already doing in their life and tell them what we see happening. I'll never forget one of my mentors sat me down very early in preaching. And he sat me down and I, it was a very, very hard word to hear. And I'll never forget, he said, Zane, God is preparing you for something great in ministry. And the way you're acting right now is not a way that life is going to be cultivated on that trajectory. And I remember because he used the word and, I heard every hard word that needed to happen after. Do we know what God is doing in the people that we want to tell truth to? And do we know about them? And then here's the third and final question. Am I for them? Am I telling someone truth because I just want something? Or am I telling them because God wants something for that person? Am I sharing truth for my own relief? Or am I sharing it for the growth of that person? You know, in uh, Ephesians 4.15, we never usually talk about what's on the back end of speaking truth in love. Paul says, we speak truth in love so we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head. That is Christ Jesus. That we share truth not to get things off of our chest. That we share truth not because we have pride that we have things figured out and someone else doesn't. We share truth because we see ways that people can grow into what God is doing. One of my mentors used to say it to me like this. He used to say, you got to remember that scripture talks about people as sheep, not as camels. All right, if you want to go ahead and put that imagery up there. I'm very proud of this one. Sheep instead of camels. Didn't that just deliver it for you? Now you just feel it more, right? <laughs> what he meant by that is sheep are not meant to be packed down and loaded down with heavy burdens to carry. Sheep are meant to be guided. When we come and we tell truth to people, we need to be very careful that we are not burdening people. Jesus was very clear with religious people, people like you and people like me, that we need to be cautious of just burdening people when we speak truth to them. In Luke 11, Jesus literally tells a bunch of religious peoples, he said, you load people down with burdens that they can hardly carry, but you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. How do we make sure 
that we're telling people truth that helps them grow? Well, a couple things. One, are we sharing observations or are we sharing conclusions? Two, are we sharing everything about someone or are we sharing what the, what they this one something that they need to hear? Are we beating them over the head with it or do we just are we able to just clearly say what we're observing in their life? Three is are we telling truth when it's most convenient for us or are we telling truth when it is most helpful for that person? And then four, when you leave the conversation, is there a clear way for someone to be able to grow? You know, when Paul writes this to the believers in Ephesians, he expects that telling someone truth and love is connected to the truth of Jesus. It's not like opinion-based. And when Paul anytime writes to an early church, he's not working on the small stuff. He's working on the big stuff. It's always tied with the teachings and the living out of Jesus' own life. I guess what I'm trying to say to us, church, in these three questions is, just because we have truth to share doesn't mean that we're always ready to give it. Sometimes we need to sit on it. Sometimes we need to pray on it. And sometimes we need God to cultivate love for that person before we share it. That way the person can feel it when we share it. You know, I, as I was praying for this message, I, I felt just really unsettled last night. And I feel like the last thing I need to just say is I know for some of us, uh, if, you're like, if you're like a person that's like, I just, you know, I, I really believe in people. I'm for it. We got to do truth telling. I'm going to go do it. Like, awesome. I want to speak to those of us in the room who maybe when we think about truth telling, uh, we don't want to do this because we've done it in the past and it didn't go well. I think for some of us, we feel the weight of truth telling because we've, we've done this before and it didn't end well for us. I know in my life, I put off truth telling because of the relational anxiety it just brings upon me. How is this person going to react? What's this person going to think of me? If this person goes off and tells that I said this, what is that person indirectly with that person going to think of me? Steve Cuss, who's this expert in relational anxiety, says, anytime you tell truth, there's four elements at play. There's the space that's inside you. There's the space between people. There's the space between you and God. And there's the space inside others. And usually in our lives, we have power over these three things. And we have no power over what happens in the fourth. And Steve would say, relational anxiety heightens in our lives when we fixate on this one and we don't work on these three. I guess what I would say to some of us who maybe feel burned by truth-telling is we tell truth not because it's fun, not because it's an honor. We tell truth because there's the potential for maturity. There's the potential of maturity for other people, but there's also potential for maturity within ourselves. It's easy to just speak out words, to just puke words onto people. It is tough soul work to speak 
truth, and love. And one of the things that truth-telling and truth-giving have in common is that both of them require soul work. So when we share truth, it may not be received really well. When we share truth, it may be painful. It may create disconnection for a while or maybe for a long while. And I guess the hope for us there is that we have a God that we can turn to who knows what it's like to bring truth that brings pain, that brings suffering, and that brings disconnection for a time. And when we share difficult truth and it's not taken well, we hold on to the hope of Jesus, that Jesus says, all shall be well. And the disconnection we feel right now will not be the way it always is. Because one day, heaven and earth will be together as we worship truth. It's not your job to convict other people. That's the Holy Spirit's job. We simply are just people who speak what we observe as we're trying to follow the truth. Are we with them? Do we know them? And are we for them? So, Lord, I come to you today just kind of humbly, Lord. Uh, there are many ways this has gone off the rails for those of us who follow you. Lord, I, I don't know in the room for those of us who have maybe had poor experiences of receiving tough words or giving tough words. God, I pray, can your spirit help heal us? And can your spirit help us to see clearly where you are calling us towards maturity, where you're calling us towards the ministry you have set before us. And then, God, can you help us do that with our fellow brothers and sisters around us? We need these words. Guide us in these tough conversations. I pray this in your name. Amen.